What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 106. Oh no, I did it. I, I'm trying to avoid doing 10 blah. Too bad. This is episode 106, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Menace. What is a menace? Menace is putting letters into numbers. Don't do that. And uh, hey, there's only one place on the internet that you can hear somebody say those words, and that's here. And you know why? Because we're not obliged to say anything else. We're an independent podcast. I don't have to say, don't forget to put in your numbers, because that's what Captain Serial says. I don't know. I got wow, nothing. okay. So, uh, so you can keep this thing completely independent <laughs> uh, by supporting us on the Patreon. You know, we have a link in the show notes. It's uh, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, and, you know, every dollar that you uh, support there uh, goes to uh, our various technological uh, devices, yes. computers, uh, potentially mics in the future as things go on and the like. Um, we have some great things that you can uh, get thank yous and you can get votes for uh, rewatch episodes and all sorts of stuff and access to a couple of different podcasts. Uh, there is a new podcast that uh, David and I just finished recording a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, and that will get up there for the Patreon listeners uh, in the relative near future. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got all of that for those who support us on Patreon. Uh, but... This podcast will always be free. It will always be here uh, as it is. And all of those other podcasts will eventually make it onto this feed so that uh, you can listen to them eventually. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you continue now. No, 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 no. Keep going. Let's, oh, okay. let's switch things up. Oh, yeah, okay. you do, you so, do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, you can also, you know, find us uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, like, you know, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, podcast aggregators out there, all of that stuff. So we have all of that going on. A couple of things uh, to let you know. Uh, I uh-huh. do want to say, give a special Patreon thank you and shout out to Matt and yes. to Dana. Yes, uh, Because yes. they have been Patreon supporters for us for a full year. Yes. And I say thank you very thank much. Thank you, Matt and Dana. Uh, for that. That's yes. awesome. Super um, cool. You know, we also have this fun little thing that if... Uh, you write a review on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and uh, send that to us and mention that to us. Well, we'll probably see if it's an American uh, stuff, but uh, if it's international, let us know that you did that. And uh, if you do, we will create a dramatic recreation for that. And do mm-hmm. you know what, Brent? What? We have a dramatic recreation to do, <gasps> uh, but you, dear listener, will have to yeah. wait another week. Yes. Uh, so we uh, are announcing it now, and we will get that prepared for Tune you. Tune in next week. Uh, for next time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, super exciting. Uh, yeah. So, Brent. Yeah. If they want to get a hold of us, specifically yeah. me, and say how well or how poorly I did your bit at the beginning, uh-huh. how can they do that? Well, they could just simply email us at walkingthroughthestargate.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Okay, just to clarify, it is walking through the stargate at gmail.com, not walking through the stargate.com. Did I say that? Did I say something? You said I said words. You said walking through the stargate.com, yeah. which oh. is a great website, and you should totally go and visit that you one. You should totally go there. I was so excited to do the thing. Okay, let me try that again. They can email us, Zach, at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That's W A L K I N G T H R U G H T H E S D A R G T A T D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D D
at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> now, I will say oh, that, can... that, that, that you're reading of the, like the, the, going through the letters, then you got the at gmail.com perfectly, but it was before that that you missed the at gmail. So what I need to do is snip all this stuff up, restitch it together in a way that makes nobody know the difference. You can do when whatever release you want. it. It's going to be perfectly smooth. Absolutely. Or not. I'm just going to leave it there. You can also find us at Twitter. <laughs> um, we're at Stargate Walking. Uh, we are also on Facebook. Let me rephrase that. Y'all are on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and you all can find it at the walking, through the, the walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Uh, like the page. Join the group. The group has a bunch of discussions, so I am told. Um, we also have a website, wtts.space. Space! Uh, you can also find it at walkingthroughthestargate.com because of the great suggestion of our dear friend Matt, who we just mentioned earlier. He was the one that was like, y'all should get in on the .com thing, even though it's too many letters. We're like, fine. You're right. But so you can also did. find us on Patreon, as Zach already said. Patreon.com slash walkingthroughthestargate. Got some tiers that give you different votes. Uh, give you votes per month for the shtick that we do, which is the Stargate Second Chances. We watch some uh, episodes from previous times. Uh, it's my second time watching through. Uh, we watch it again. We talk about it again. We give it another fresh rating. Um, we're going to be popping in some of these things, uh, a couple more of these episodes that we've done in our feed about a month from now or so. Um, and it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun, especially because generally speaking, Zach and I kind of forgot what we gave the episode <laughs> like <Yeah>. already. <laughs> so we're kind of coming in a little bit fresh and it's fun to see where we like agree with our past selves or where we differ from our past selves. It's a lot of fun. The, yep. These things are great. Uh, Zach, according to the show notes, we got some uh, episode tallies here. Yes. So uh, do you Stargate, want to go through them or do you want me yeah. to? Yeah. Yeah. Because then I'm going to hand it back to you. You can do the background facts. Okay. Okay. But today is switch around day. Today's backwards day. Uh, so the episode tally, uh, we got seven votes for Stargate movie, which I guess, yeah, we did an episode on it. So we probably should do it again. Oh man. That episode is probably trash. Episode zero, the pilot that we did. Episode anyway, zero. it was like five um, minutes long and we talked about a two hour movie and <laughs> it, we, we've, we've since expanded our repertoire. All right. So, yes, absolutely. uh, emancipation is sitting there hanging out with one vote. I think that's going to just kind of be there with one vote as a threat for the rest of our lives. Like, uh, ah, ah, yeah, you might have to watch Emancipation yeah, again. The Knox also has one vote. Bane, the best show in television, has four votes. Touchstone has two. Seth has one. That'd be a good one to go back over. Mm -hmm. um, Forever in a Day has two. Ergo has one. A Hundred Days has three. Beneath the Surface has one. Tangent has three. Mm. And the light has two. Yeah. So there you go. Yep. A quick um, reminder to those of you who are Patreon supporters and who have not sent me an email with your votes for February, please do so. There is still time. I will still accept them. Um, so, yeah, it's still technically February. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, so, you know, please uh, thank you to those who have. And, you know, you are all invited to do so. so yeah. There you go. It's a lot of fun. Yep. Okay. Are we ready for the background facts? Going Let's back dig to not opposite day. No, it's not opposite day anymore. Okay. It's time for Menace. Let's get into the Menace. Menace. Woo! So the director of Menace is not Dennis, but Martin. <laughs> this is Martin. 
Martin Wood. So uh, this is his seventh of eight episodes this season. He did Enemies, Ascension, Red Sky, Beast of Burden, Summit, and Last Stand. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little tidbit about Martin that I learned in the commentary for this episode is that... So this is a Replicator episode. And he has been the director for every Replicator episode we have seen so far. Oh. Huh. So. That is... Awesome and also good, which me- means it, it creates a consistency. Yeah. Like it, I didn't, I didn't even really think about it or appreciate it until you said it like that. But yeah, I mean, by definition, there's going to be a consistency in how these things are portrayed and how it's paced and mm-hmm. what what they're going to be doing when they're doing bad things yep. or good things or good things. And you know, one of the things that he is constantly trying to do with the replicators is uh, give them face on it. <laughs> some sort of personality, <laughs> yeah. right? He, he wants the, these replicators to have some kind of uh, personality that, that we can see on screen. Um, we certainly get some of that today. Mm-hmm. The story for this episode was written by James Titchener, who was actually the visual effects supervisor for the show. Um, mm. And he did mm. visual effects for this and hunt dozens and dozens and hundreds of episodes of Stargate uh, over the years. Uh, he has totaled two story credits in Stargate. This is one. He's got another one in season six. Wow. Stick a pin in this. We'll get into it when we get into it, yep. but that's interesting. Uh, now, he pitched the story and gets the story credit. Um, Brad Wright had a lot to do with kind of fleshing out some of the story elements, and but the teleplay credit goes to Peter DeLuise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is his third teleplay credit for this season. Of three, he did Beast of Burden, and last week he did The Warrior. So we have mm-hmm. that. Uh, we have a couple of guest stars to guest actors to note. We got Gary Jones as Walter Harriman. We've got Taylor Rothery as Doctor Frazier. Uh, Dan Shea is Siler. Uh, but this is an episode we we do have one guest actress, and uh, I do need to mention her. Her name is Danielle Nicolette. She mm-hmm. plays Reese. She was born and raised in Ohio, uh, and then her family moved to Southern California because she wanted to train in gymnastics, Mm -hmm. and so she competed as a gymnast uh, through her teen years, Uh, but then finally, around that teenage time, decided that acting was her dream, and that's what she wanted to do. So she's appeared in lots of different movies and shows. Uh, She's appeared in National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon. Uh, the Jacksons in American Dream, Where Truth Lies, Shadow of Doubt, and Race are all various movies she's been. She mm-hmm. was spent six seasons as Karen on the Emmy award-winning sitcom Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2005, uh, she Entertainment Weekly named her the breakout star of the network for her turn... Uh, in the sitcom Second Time Around. Um, now, I didn't realize this until I was like looking through her IMDP page, but the, this actress, Danielle Nicolette, who plays Reese, uh, also plays a character on The Flash. She plays mm-hmm. Cecile Horton on The Flash, uh, which is a show that I watch a fair amount of. Uh, I'm a little bit behind in that show, but, you know, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hadn't ever made the connection that this is the same actress. And uh, as I was looking at her IMDb page, I saw a picture of her. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is her. <laughs> oh, but I mean, obviously she's quite a bit younger uh, in this yeah. uh, and such. Now, her first 
IMDb credit came in 1991 and mm-hmm. 1992 when she played Vonda Mahoney in three episodes of Family Matters. Huh. There you go. There you go. Uh, and she's not a tall person. No, there was some good camera work when uh, she was standing and Dan and um, Michael Shanks was sitting. Yeah. And then Michael Shanks stood up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I noticed I, that the camera had to get real low. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. But I I really like how the camera uh, portrays her and talks about, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the camera work helps to tell her story. Yes. Uh, so this episode originally aired on April 26, 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one on the charts in the U.S. was Foolish by Ashanti. Ooh, a new one. Yes, it's a new one. Uh, it is worth noting that there is a one-week break between last week's episode and this week's episode in terms of their airing. Uh, uh, yes, I, don't okay. know, I don't know specifically why, but uh, there it is. There it is. Uh, in the UK, they were listening to The Hindu Times by Oasis. Nice. Do you know either of those songs? Nope. They're both playing. They bet the Foolish was there, just ah. there, and now Hindu Times is playing, and ah, uh, I hope I will recognize either of them. Well, you know, um, Hindu Times is written by Oasis, sung by Oasis, and when I think of Oasis, I think of, like, Egypt and desert, and what happens in the desert, but the Scorpion <laughs> King rises in the desert. <laughs> That's number one I mean, on the charts. I think of what's the story, Morning Glory, but, you know, teach their own. You know, well, you know, I'm trying to squeeze these You're doing your something. best. You're doing your best. Carry on. Carry uh, on. And so what, what Brent just did there was changing lanes, which is nice. number two. Uh, we and if we had a Jason in the podcast, I'm sure he would change the lanes ten times, and we'd get Jason ten or X or whatever. That's a stretch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am murdering numbers here. <laughs> Murder by numbers is number four. <laughs> oh, oh, and that's good. I guess this is life or something like it. I guess oh, I don't know man. which is number Not five. Bad. Not bad. That was pretty good. you go. So, uh, what was happening at around this time? Uh, On April 23rd, Pope John Paul II comes to the United States, or at least, oh no, he meets United States Catholic Church leaders at the Vatican, so he doesn't Mm -hmm. come here, but they go there, uh, regarding the various sexual abuse scandals of minors that uh, happened uh, at that time. Well, they were... some of them were active, but these are issues that were going back decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was on the 23rd. Uh, on April 25th, Left Eye, that is to say Lisa Lopez, uh, who is an American singer from the uh, group TLC, dies in a car crash at the age of 30. Right. That's right. Uh, I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, on April 26th, Robert Steinhäuser, uh, who is 19 years old, uh, infiltrates and kills 17 people at the Gutenberg Gymnasium in Erfurt, Erfurt Germany, mm-hmm. uh, before dying of a self-inflicted gunshot. Um, no good. No good. Mm-mm. On the 27th of April, uh, we get the last successful telemetry from the NASA space probe Pioneer 10. Ah, yeah, yep. So what was the Pioneer 10 doing? I can't remember, and I didn't look that so, up. So 
Pioneer was launched in, I think, the 60s, um, ahead of the Voyager missions, and but with kind of the same aim. It was like the first deep space probes that we sent. I mm-hmm. think the Pioneers were the first ones to escape the sun's um, gravity well eventually. I mean, they haven't yet, but like that, that, that they were on escape trajectories. The first things to go on escape trajectories. And I think Pioneer went zipping by Jupiter, if I remember. I can't remember what Pioneer 10 went by, but, you know, like the, the major notable milestones was that, it, that the Pioneer missions went by Jupiter and I think Saturn too. And then off they went and they were just collecting deep space telemetry. And by, you know, 2002, it's kind of a miracle, not a miracle, but, you know, it's like, yeah, these things are petering out. Their little, their little radium powered batteries are running out and, mm-hmm. uh, so that was one that said, hello, I'm currently spinning. Whee! And we're like, sweet, Pioneer, thanks for letting us know. Okay, tell us next time. And there wasn't a next time. Yeah. Yeah. It could have sent more stuff, but we never received it. Correct. Which is inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's stunning that the Voyagers are still, I mean, like, I think they're slated, Voyagers 1 and 2 are slated to basically kind of stop operating based off of what we think is happening with the temperature and how much power is left in the batteries, like mm. imminently. I think it's like in the next year or two or three or something. It's like, it's going to happen here like right now. Yeah. But you know, that's been, pretty cool stuff. Well, so you actually, you know, vo- the Voyager probes are actually going to be taken up by, um, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, robot life forms out there. And then it's going to become this giant cloud and come back and try to destroy Earth because it needs us to type in a code and we don't Te- know what the code is. Technically, but it's okay. technically, it's Voyager 6 that does that. Technically. Yeah. Okay. Technically. Okay. <laughs> we don't know if they all... We only know that Voyager 6 was captured. We don't know if the other ones were. And we got to assume that they were because... Because... It's it's one of those great. It's seriously one of the best parts about um, future-looking sci-fi from our past. So, Star Trek: The Motion Picture came out in '79. That was the year that Voyagers One and Two were launched. From yeah. from their point of view, sure, having a sixth Voyager made all the sense in the world, and of course, it never happened. So, <laughs> but it came back. It came, I mean, I think it was six. It might have been five, but whatever. It was like not two, but it comes well, it back. Could have I, been monolithic you know that movie i saw it recently again for you know saw it again fairly recently and i saw it on my regular size television and I'm, i was watching it going this is a boring movie but man it must have been just beautiful to watch it on the big screen just beautiful yeah, yeah. boring is all get out though. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <sighs> all right so then uh Getting back on track here. Oh, yes. On April 30th, this would be about four days after this episode airs, there is a referendum in Pakistan overwhelmingly approving the presidency of uh, Pervez Musharraf for another five years. There you go. So, there you go. Woohoo! Go team, I guess. Uh, (laughs) We do have just a a little bit of trivia here for this Mm -hmm. episode. Um, One... This episode was filmed right during the 9-11 attacks. So, in fact, the uh, the first scenes that you see as they are entering in that dark, cavernous room and whatnot, yeah. uh, that was filmed on September 11. Uh, in fact, um, Christopher Judge, after hearing this, had to like be on camera for that. And he asked Martin Wood if he could be on 
in the background for all of that because he was just having one heck of a, a mm-hmm. tough time with that. He's got a lot of family apparently uh, in New York at that time, and you know all of the questions that was going on on that day. Oh yeah, he had oh, no gosh. idea, and he was just an emotional wreck. Oh, uh, yeah, and there were a couple of shots. So like later on in the show, uh, we see O'Neill and Teal'c back in that place, right? Mm-hmm. Those yep. were, of course, all filmed on the same day, but but uh, in the commentary, Martin Wood was talking about the amount of makeup and stuff they had to put on to Chris Judge so that he would look normal in the yeah. midst of the emotional trauma that he was dealing with at that time. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Um, I mean, boy, I, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate that. Um, I got to be. Uh, I got to. I, I got to turn off that day. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I didn't. I didn't have to like continue to put on a song and dance. Like wow. Ugh. Whew. Yeah. I mean, I remember that I had to go into work that day, and I was working at a pizza place at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. And so you know, I got to go to work and make pizzas, and you know, order people around. That that's not quite true. It wasn't ordering, but you know, it's like a shift manager so I was just making sure sure that that people were doing what they were supposed to be doing and and all of that stuff and we certainly had plenty of conversation going on around that Um, but yeah that was nothing like uh, you know and I don't have any family that lives in New York uh, or Washington D.C. or Pennsylvania Uh, and so while it was a traumatic event it was kind of um secondary you know it's just kind of mm-hmm. out there and, but but to hear this story about you know gosh i i could totally understand you know if i had had family in uh new york at that time and all this is happening and we're still trying to figure out what everything's going on and i need to be on set filming things uh whew, i would have been a wreck too 100%. no kidding no kidding um this episode is actually don s davis's 100th episode so we got to celebrate oh, the show's hey. 100th uh, a while ago. But, of course, there are plenty of episodes that he has been in. Uh, he has not been in. And so Correct. this actually is his 100th episode. Congratulations. So, yep. Uh, and then I do have a quote here from Joe Malazzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, Danielle Nicolette, who guested as Reese in this episode, delivered such a terrific performance that I started trying to think of a way to bring the character back almost immediately after killing her off. Hey, it happens. It sure Given does. Given the events in New York, most flights were grounded and she was unable to fly back to L.A. As a result, she ended up having to stay in town for a few extra days. And I remember treating her to dinner where the topic of conversation ranged from the music business to the wonderful time she had as a recurring character on Third Rock from the Sun. She was a total sweetheart. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, uh, this episode, in other languages, mm-hmm. uh, in French, it was Menace. They just kind of dubbed it in English from the English, you know, Menace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italian, they translated it to Menace. The Spanish did the same. The Czech did the same. The Hungarians did the same. The Germans? Birth of the Replicators? Reese. Well, they're not wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're technically correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she, Julie actually suggested that, you know, this time around, the German title of just naming it Reese actually reveals less than the American title. That's a good point. That's I'm a good like, point. Okay, I can't argue with that. I can see that. Absolutely. 
There you go. (laughs) All right. So, are we ready to dig into the synopsis? Yeah, let's get into the synopsis. All right, here we go. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange new world. (laughs) This world looks like it used to be highly technologically advanced, but is no more. Walking into a dark, (laughs) dank building, they discover a young woman lying on a table with, with a veil over her face. She's a robot, a highly advanced AI system, and it's super strange that she's here when nothing else seems to be. The team contacts General Hammond back at the SGC and asks to bring the robot back to Earth so they can study her. And the general agrees. It doesn't take long to figure out where the battery goes, and (laughs) with a little recharging, the android is activated. And, taking a deep breath, she sits up and is confused. She's unsure where she is. She wants her father. She is scared of the strange people with guns pointing at her, surrounding her. Her name is Reese. And Sam tries to tell her that she's a machine, but she seems to reject that possibility. What do you mean? I look just like you. I'm just like you. Really, I'm, I, I'm just like you. Dan, Daniel suggests <laughs> they give her time and not confront her with the existential realities uh, and the psychological ramifications of her not being an actual human. Reese is very childlike. Daniel asks Reese about her planet and what happened. She knows that it was destroyed, but... She won't share any more information on the subject. She was just asleep, and then she woke up, and is she, where's her dad? I don't know. Uh, that said, she's also very, very curious about Earth and the SGC and all this stuff, and she's wandering around, and she's asking all sorts of questions about this and that, and she wants Daniel to tell her all about his planet, and she desperately wants to see the rest of his world. Now, in an attempt to learn more about what happened on the planet, O'Neill and Teal'c and SG-3 return, and after scouring the building where Reese was found, they discover... I'm sure it doesn't mean anything at all, but I found these little blocks here that that uh, are, are, are silvery metal, and, and, and the, oh my gosh, those are replicator blocks! Ah! This is not a good thing. Just saying. With the discovery that replicators are now involved, the questions surrounding Reese grow. Replicators consume all forms of advanced tech, and so why would they just leave an android lying there? Is it possible that Reese has the ability to protect herself from the metal bugs? If so, she may be the answer to the Asgard's problems. Sam thinks it's time to truly confront Reese on what she is. Daniel isn't too keen on the idea, but he agrees nonetheless. Daniel tries to get Reese to sit still and to focus. Sit. Reese. 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 Sit. (laughs) Focus. Look at me. No, no. no. Reese. Okay. Okay. He tries to explain to her that she's an android. Yes, she's alive. She, she looks a lot like Daniel, and she, you know, is alive and has a conscious, but not in the same way that Daniel is alive. But she gets really upset upon hearing this, and she shoves Daniel across the room into a bookcase. She turns around and begins pounding on the windows of the screening room where Sam and Jack sit, demanding to get out. Now, Daniel's going to be okay, fortunately, and while he's getting patched up by... Uh, patched up by some uh, infirmary personnel. I can't remember if it was Frazier or not at this point in time, but SG-1 and the general hold sort of a mini staff meeting in the hallway. Sam wonders if Reese might have some kind of programming that won't allow her to accept the fact that she's not human. 
Jack wonders if it's occurred to anyone that this robot may simply be broken and that the proper course of action is to simply shut it down. Later on, when Daniel goes to see her again, she is overjoyed. She hugs him and she apologizes. She didn't mean to throw him across the room. She didn't mean to hurt him. I hope he's okay, he's okay and all of this stuff. Oh, and by the way, she totally accepts uh, you know, his apology for attacking her. Now, Daniel is a little taken aback by this and wants to talk more about this uh, because he didn't attack her in this situation. But but Reese is not really interested in talking about that. She wants to let bygones be bygones, and she wants to show uh, Daniel her new toy. She wants to have some fun. And so Daniel is further taken aback when she reveals her toy is actually a replicator climbing out from behind the bookcase and onto her arm. Bum, bum, bum. But don't worry. It's just a toy. It's fine. It's not just a toy. It's not a toy. They take the replicator and place it in a reinforced glass box. Tilk stands guard prepared to blow it to smithereens if it begins to attack. Daniel has to press Reese on what really happened to her planet. And while she does reveal quite a lot, she becomes increasingly agitated. Everyone hates her. She was created wrong, and the people don't appreciate her or her toys. And, and she, she needed to program them to protect her and themselves. And, and then everyone wants to destroy her and her replicators. And Daniel tries to console her and convince her that everything is fine. It's okay. Nobody hates her. She continues and reveals that she eventually did lose control of the replicators and they destroyed her home planet. They wouldn't listen to her anymore. And then they left and she was all alone in her agitation. And all of this, the replicator that was captured and in that box begins to attack and Teal destroys it. And that just throws her really over the ice. She doesn't know what to do. It's like somebody cut off one of her limbs as it's, oh my God. Okay. It's time to shut this project down. Unfortunately, Reese was able to make more than one of those little toy replicators. And, well, seeing as they are programmed to replicate, they replicated. And her army of replicators are now going to protect her. The base is thrown into chaos. Several guards are killed by the replicators. Hammond locks down the base. Reese locks herself in the embarkation room and demands to go through the gate. Daniel wants to talk to her one more time and try to convince her to stop, along with a plan to try to remove her power disc. With the replicators actively trying to take over the base, Hammond decides that they need to set the auto-destruct as a precaution. So, Daniel goes to the embarkation room with Reese to talk. Hammond and Carter are in the auto-destruct room, manually turning the device on and preventing the replicators from turning it off. Teal and O'Neill and a whole bunch of other people are outside the embarkation room, trying to hold off the onslaught of replicators, while Siler attempts to cut a giant hole in the door of the embarkation room so that uh, O'Neill can go in there and get to... Daniel and Reese. Woofta. Okay, Daniel mm -hmm. gains Reese's trust and nearly disables her before she grabs his wrist and snaps it in pieces and tosses him to the floor. Carter and Hammond are able to set the auto-destruct five minutes and then kablooey! Reese feels her toys dying left and right and she wants them to stop killing her toys. Oh, oh, Daniel wants Reese to turn them off before she loses control and Carter believes that the replicators may be beginning to get their own independent personality outside of Reese and that would be super bad because then even she can't control them. It looks like Daniel is making progress. Reese's emotions are high and perhaps in some kind of desperation she may just actually listen 
listen to Daniel and shut it all down. They can fix her. Siler cuts through the door. O'Neill bursts in and takes aim at the android. Fires, and she falls back into the floor, dying. As Reese shuts down the replicator, blocks separate and collapse. Daniel is distraught and angry at Jack. He didn't have to do that. She was shutting them down, and now he's killed their only hope at defeating the replicators. Jack did what he had to do to safeguard the lives of Daniel and everyone else on the base. He's sorry, and yet this is still what had to happen. They remove the power disc from Reese's neck. Hammond and Carter turn off the auto-destruct. And Jack orders a sweep of the base to confirm the replicators are in fact dead and to clean up all of their blocks. He walks off, leaving Daniel alone to mourn Reese's death. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Menace. Mm Mm-hmm. What'd you think? So I've got like 55 ideas. And so I'm going to kind of go rapid fire through the highlights of a couple or a few. Okay. And then really dig into the thing that I was finding most interesting to think about. Idea number one. I think it is completely plausible to have a read on this episode that Reese was nefarious and misleading and was going to bring about destruction the whole time. Like intentionally or not was kind of beside the point. I think that that is a read that could have succeeded upon a watching of this thing. Stick a pin in that. Pop. Okay. Um, idea number two. Oh no, I forgot what idea number two was. Cause it came to me only as you were kind of reading through the synopsis. Um, all right, maybe I'll come back to it in a minute, but the big idea that, um, that I wanted to sort of talk about with this episode requires that I, um, reveal a bit about myself because it's important to know in order to get where I'm coming from. At least I think. Okay. Um, when I was growing up, <clears throat> there was a Star Trek Next Generation episode where this boy went through some traumatic events, like everybody on his ship was destroyed or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was rescued, and he sees Data and is just completely taken with the idea of Data being basically a functioning person without emotion. And that boy said, that's awesome. That's what I want to be. So he... The whole episode is him emulating data. And of course, the episode is trying to draw out the boy into being a person again and what right. it means and, and navigating through that trauma. And when I was watching that episode, man, did I identify with that boy? Woo wee. The ability to turn off your emotions. Oh, that'd be golden, man. Holy yeah. cow. Wouldn't life be so much easier? Golly. I had so many other qualities of being just the un- misunderstood, nerdy, encyclopedia on two legs why do i have to also walk around with all this meat bag emotion boy that'd be sweet if i could get rid of that and obviously that episode was saying no no (laughs) that's actually bad um you don't want to do that uh and here's a story about how how we navigate through that but also recognize that this might be something you know this is a thing that people people deal with um i tend to identify with characters in science fiction who are outside of what is the norm of sentience. Um, Typically, those characters are presented in a way that one way or the other, you know, you you can go a few different directions with the central premise, but the central premise is, look, they're alive and they are creatures onto their own right and we just don't get them right now. Um, 
And so here's another episode of here's a creature and it's alive and it has a sentience and we just don't get her right now. And the story plays around with that idea and, and, and carries on with that thing. The thing that I found interesting, I, I was really enamored with the origin story of the replicators. No question. I'm really interested in the implications of what it means that there was this singular point of origin for all of these things. And when that singular point of origin died, that the replicators immediately around her and in her control completely collapsed. That implies that there might be some kind of central driving force for our current replicators too, perhaps. Maybe it's worth discovering or going out there and trying to find it. We still have her little power cell. It's a piece of technology. We still have all of her. That's a piece of technology. Like there's a whole bunch of story that can be sprung off of this moment and I'm seeing it and I'm pretty interested in where you might go with that one. Cool. This episode was feeling pretty frustrating to me because I also not only have that background of identifying with the misunderstood intelligence, but I also work in education and I work with children and the writing was a little bit simplistic and the acting was fine, but also a little bit, I'll use the word trivial, but that might not be the best word. I'm tr- what I'm really trying to get at is that they, is that Reese, the character was portrayed as a bopping five-year-old in a 16-ish, 18, 20, whatever year old personage um, of unknown age, because who knows how actually old the Android was, but you know, that doesn't matter. Right. Um, and the story was, like, how do you engage with that kind of mind? And, you know, great news, friends. <laughs> Your teachers know exactly how to engage with that mind. Um, and we saw an awful lot of examples of what not to do. And there was definitely some pieces of me that are like, I mean, they're, they're, they're totally screwing this thing up. And it played out relatively predictably. And, of course, this episode was not about how to have meaningful, heartfelt connections with children and traumatic experiences in order to get them to no longer exhibit destructive behaviors. That's pretty specific. Right. Um, But what you don't do is that you don't shout at them and tell them that they're broken. Don't do that. And um, and you don't um, react. This is petty, but you don't react and kind of let them guide the entire control of the situation, et cetera. And I get it. It's really it's more complex than that. This story was about an android, a robot that they discovered on a planet that is acting like this. And do you use the same protocol in dealing with that kind of sentience as you would with a child? And that's where we get into where my beliefs might be different from what a lot of people's do because or have because I'm firmly of the opinion that even though machines and AI today are nowhere close to having that level of sentience at all, establishing the habits of treating life with respect begins now. That if we get in the habit of treating our digital assistants as idiot machines that are completely incapable of doing anything right and are deserving of our derision, we are laying the groundwork for that kind of attitude in the event that we actually do somehow create something 
that is sentient and autonomous and has a, the ability to exert free will. We we are laying a groundwork that will be destructive and is, of course, its own framework and foundation of sto- sci-fi stories. Like, I mean, come on, that that yeah. that question is the baseline for a bunch of science fiction. But it, 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 it exhibits itself in these ways now. It's, there's the, you know, I was chuckling to myself, like, you know, an archaeologist and an airman walk into a childhood trauma. Like, like both Jack O'Neill and Dr. Jackson kind of went at this thing in strange ways that didn't really go in good directions and it resulted in a tragedy at the end. Um, but from a storytelling point of view, especially a early 2000s storytelling point of view, like it wasn't, it wasn't intrinsically wrong. Colonel O'Neill's intrinsic position of, I don't know, hit the off button, wasn't intrinsically wrong. Uh, Daniel Jackson outright lying to her flat out in an effort to deceive her and flip off the off switch, which was another big no-no. How on earth are you going to establish trust like that? It is not the biggest no-no if what we're talking about is just a blender. Um, You know, like I, I respect that that framework, that idea. I'm a person who is at this sort of fringe understanding of self-identifying with these types of characters because of an experience where I felt like a continual outsider connected with this just, I don't know, this, this bordering on animism thing that I have where I seem to put personality into all sorts of things. And then kind of this far seeing reality, like, you know, if we keep treating robots like blenders, we're going to end up in a situation where we are treating living things like blenders and that never ends up well. Um, And it wraps itself up into this moment of watching people fumble around and screw up this opportunity for what is basically a first contact, which I know I'm mixing all my shows all all up right now, but like they just (laughs) screw it up. And the inevitable result is that this thing has to die as a result. Now, big caveat, the thing that we're talking about, let me bring it back to my very first point was something that was dishonest about what had happened or at least misunderstanding and certainly not forthright about it and is the origin (laughs) of the big bad nasty that has a very powerful alien race on their back foot way over there on the other side of the world. Well, you know, metaphorical world. Um, Like, like read number one is still valid that Reese actually wasn't going to be good at all ever. And that the whole thing was literally deception start to finish even in the end where Jackson is like, he was, she was shutting him down. You dummy might not have been accurate. It, they might've fallen apart because she died. They might not have, you know what I mean? Like, like, like I I'm going to believe Jackson because that's the kind of person I am. I agree with that sentiment. Mm-hmm. There's a real genuine read on this, which is like, no, no, this was a catastrophe that was about to break out into the world and completely destroy like the human race in like, minutes like the situation was resolved correctly with a bullet through the chest um but yeah complex and i was laughing to myself because as i'm watching this episode about halfway through and i kind of groan because i'm like oh man this is going to be another hard conversation (laughs) 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 we're gonna have another big one aren't we (laughs) so yeah so there's that's 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 it i i i enjoyed it but boy was it all there's all sorts of combinations of ideas in here so i'm gonna stop zach what do you think about this episode so um i'll begin by saying as a general rule i i like this episode i think this is a really good episode Mm -hmm. um 
I have always read Reese to be um, certainly early on. She's she's I mean, she's portrayed and is portraying herself as innocent at the beginning. Yes. Um, and while she may not, strictly speaking, be as innocent as she is uh, or as she is appearing, uh, I have always understood this as um, she is not evil. She's not trying to be evil. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, even the replicators themselves um, aren't uh, evil in the same way that uh, the Gua'uld are evil. Right, the right. Gould are, you know, the Gould fully are aware that they aren't actually gods. Um, well, they sort of think they are god. That, but, but they know that what they're doing is uh, abusing other people, and they just don't care. Um, you right. know, or, or right. they they believe that those people are put there um, for their sake. Stick. Stick a pin in a reaction that I just had. I want to get, let you keep going, but um, the Gua'uld treat their subjects like my metaphorical blender a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah. But Carrying the, the replicators, um, up until this point, have not really been a bad guy. Uh, they've certainly been a nemesis and certainly a menace, but they've, they've almost been like a force of nature. Uh, and while you could argue whether or not they're actually natural, um, and it appears from this situation that we can probably safely say that they're not natural, but, uh, um, you know, I mean, you, you definitely do what you can to protect yourself from the tsunami that's coming. Mm -hmm. But on some level, you can't get mad at the tsunami itself for coming. Right, right. Um, and, and so the replicators, even themselves... Uh, uh, so far as we have seen, really aren't evil in the same way as the Gua'uld. Definitely a nemesis. Definitely not good. Definitely, uh, they are operating in the world as a in a manner that is not safe for us. We need to mm -hmm. confront that. Absolutely. But are they evil in the same way that the Gua'uld are? And the answer is uh, no. Not right now. We we don't. That's that's not who they are. There there's this wave of of power that they are. Um, so I don't think that Reese is evil, and I don't think she is intentionally trying to be deceptive. Uh, what we do learn is that she was activated on that planet, and she spent time amongst the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got uncomfortable with her in some capacity. She had the ability to make uh, toys and whatnot, and apparently these toys weren't appreciated by people um, and potentially did things that, um, well, certainly made them uh, more nervous about her than they already were, such that she felt, uh, which is understandable, uh, that they were threatening not only her, but her toys, and I mean, specifically her very life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, this is what humans do. You know, if you threaten our lives, we will do everything we can to, as a general rule, to protect ourselves. Um, 
Now, we are limited to our, you know, four limbs and heads and, you know, all of that stuff and a few things here or there that we can, but, you know, we're, we're, we don't have the ability to take a piece of metal and manipulate it in our hand and turn right. it into a replicator, but, right. uh, you know, so we don't have that capacity, uh, but, but that is a very human thing to do. It's just now she uh, is coupled with uh, tremendous power and uh, not a lot of wisdom. Which is right. really kind of sad, uh, in some ways. Um, you you made comments uh, comparing her to teaching young people, mm-hmm. and you are absolutely right. Uh, the fundamental difference there, I think, is that your five year old is not going to be able to throw you across the room. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, acknowledged. Um. Now, you know, that five-year-old can continue to uh, exhibit problems and challenges and struggles and become a 15-year-old, and now that 15-year-old certainly could have the capacity to throw you across the room. Um, And that's why uh, when we walk into a room with a troubled teen, we are far more nervous uh, as a general rule than we are when we walk into a troubled five-year-old. Because when we walk into the five-year-old room, uh, we know that if push comes to shove, I can probably subdue them. Um, and that changes the way we approach things instinctually. Should it? Probably not. You know, we need to find a way to uh, hold on to our fear and not let our fear control us as we're navigating somebody who cannot do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Uh, but that happens in different ways for different people. Um, and you're also dealing with people who are clearly not trained in this kind of psychology. Right. I mean, on a multitude of levels, not not least of which this is a television show. Not least of which this is a television show. Um, but uh, as the story progresses, I'm going to uh, defend Daniel just a little bit when they're in the embarkation room and among other mm-hmm. things he cries out your father made you wrong uh, you are absolutely right if you're dealing with a malcontented 5 year old or 10 year old or even 15 year old that is 9 times out of 10 99 times out of 100 maybe 999 times out of 1000 <laughs> the wrong thing to say yes. um, uh, in that situation uh, he was what he was trying to, whether it was succeeding or not, but what he was trying to do was was break through her own emotional blocks uh, to see in a different way, and uh, you know try to to come at it from a different direction. Um, and on that level, I can respect that um, if one has a certain amount of of trust and rapport with someone. Uh, your capacity to say things that you wouldn't say in other situations grows. So there are things that I could say to you, for example, that I wouldn't mm-hmm. say to a parishioner because we have a different relationship. Right. Um, you know, Daniel, by this point in time, had developed a different relationship than anybody else with her. Um, y- yeah, I suppose that might be something that I was kind of hung up on because I wasn't shown the success. Yeah, I was certainly shown the effort, but I wasn't really shown the success. Eh, sort of. It looked like she was seriously considering what he had to say. Okay, yeah, fine. I might have been reading a little bit too strongly into that moment. Uh, no, yeah. 
Uh, I will right. agree that when the final bell tolls and O'Neill pops in there and shoots her in the chest, mm-hmm. um, and and Daniel says, "You didn't have to do that." She was shutting them down. We don't know. Right. We don't know whether they shut down because she chose to shut them down, or they shut down because he shot her. Um, and I actually, in terms of storytelling and television and whatnot, I love that tension. I love that. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, because uh, you can totally feel, uh, you know, like I'm a feeler, and so I'm totally with Daniel. And I'm like, you know, I, I think, uh, I certainly feel that he had actually been making progress and that she was at a point where, uh, where she was getting ready to shut them down. Whether or not she did that or not, I don't know. But I think he was making progress for that. Uh, and yet, O'Neill, being O'Neill, and rightly so, walks in and knows that this is a ticking time bomb. Uh, not only she with the replicators, but if they want to survive, they've got to shut this process down in mm-hmm. two minutes or the whole mountain goes kablooey. Sucks to be NORAD, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Side note, do you ever think that NORAD is always like, come on, what I just want to be watching radar. radar. Are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Will you guys get it together already? <laughs> uh, you know, so so when he comes in and he, you know, levels his weapon and shoots her, I, I, I don't think he's in the wrong. Um, and it's just one of those heartache situations where you look at that and you're like, Oh, if only it could have been different. I I see that moment as the story accidentally getting it right. Um, they certainly did not give us any evidence of what the people on her original planet did to try to get her to stop. We have her very swift, very narrow side of the story that she told us. And if presumably if things are to be believed, she adored her father. And you can't, you cannot envision a situation where an entire planet's civilization is currently being destroyed and her dad not saying at some level, honey, you gotta, no, we come on now. We gotta do something different here, right? Like we have to do something different here. And it didn't work. Right. So then what does Daniel Jackson think he's going to be able to do? Right. Like, no. you know, like it, it was it, 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 it the story, I think, accidentally got it perfectly right. It, it's a foregone conclusion, but it's a foregone. The evidence that it is a foregone conclusion is nested in this interpretation of what we have to do based off of the origin story of where where, where she got to where she was even in the first place. So I um, will make a supposition. I mean, this is kind of the way I I imagine that the issue with Reese and the replicators on her home planet are relatively small scale. Um, that, that it's something that's happening within her town, not the whole planet. Fair. Um, Carry on. And, and my assumption in that regard is whatever happens, happens relatively locally. Um, and, you know, like here... If it is accurate where uh, Carter says it appears that maybe she's losing control of the replicators, how many replicators does she have? I mean, certainly in the hundreds, probably the thousands, um, probably not in the millions. 
yet. Right. Um, uh, tens of thousands, almost certainly, but they are contained in this base. And so if she is having trouble controlling them on that level, then more than likely she lost control of them around a similar level uh, on her home planet. I, I took that loss of control to be entirely emotionally driven. That the reason she was having trouble was because she was being confronted in a way that was making her emotionally unsure. So I, I would say that, see, I have a sneaking suspicion that um, things occurred fairly similarly on her home planet. Right, right. Um, sure. And We're however... led to believe that, that's for sure. You know, however, um, she truly did lose control of them uh, long before uh, things were able to be resolved. I think I see where you're going. I think I disagree. I wonder if you know things that I don't, which are helping you understand, and I don't see them yet, and I don't get it yet, but the evidence as provided, she is on a tablet in a, th in a place, and there are no active replicators anywhere. There's replicator bits, but there's no active replicators anywhere. We know replicators go somewhere else. We know they exist elsewhere. Right. She apparently is the progenitor of replicators. At least that's is what the story tells us. Mm -hmm. And um and the way that she tells it is that people were mad at her and so her toys basically killed them. And so the order of events is she exists, she creates toys. People don't like her and her toys. They basically storm the castle. She says she freaks out in a way. Replicators come to her aid. Everything is destroyed, including her dad and including everyone. She says it, it destroyed everything. She was the last thing left. She lays herself down on a table, puts a cloth over her head and turns herself off. Because if no one else is around to do that, then she did that herself. And then now we got a bit of a fuzzy. And again, Zach, you might know exactly where this goes, but I don't. The fuzzy right now is how did the replicators get off world? Where do they go from there? So it looks so like I will, I will add a little caveat to what you say is that based on what she says, it sounds like the replicators left the planet after they decimated everything, after they destroyed everything, they left the planet and left her there alone. So whenever they leave, however they leave, they leave at before she shuts herself down. Fine. And that might, yes, that might be a piece of dialogue that I missed. So you, you've heard her say her origin story enough times. Let me just make sure that I'm understanding it correctly because I think it matters a lot. People get mad. She defends herself using her toys. Her dad gets killed. She retaliates, basically. The replicators then leave. And she, not knowing what to do, lays down and shuts down. So there's, there's a couple pieces in there. Um, at some point in time... She tells she feels threatened, and she says to her toys, "Protect yourself and me." Mm -hmm. um, suddenly, you know that results in them killing people, presumably. Right, right. Um, and then, at somewhere in there, she's there is a realization in her that this has gone too far, and she tries to stop them. She tried to stop them and failed. And now yeah. she is stuck 
watching her toys who have taken on a mind of their own continue on killing everything. And then after everything has been consumed on the planet, she sees them leave. And then she she shuts herself down. Dude, can you imagine being a five-year-old and living that? No. No, I can't. But that would be awful. Right? Right. I mean, you right. can tell, I mean, you know, if if she has, God. if she has any type of psychological, me- uh, yeah, 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 yes, in there. Yeah. And I'm, 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 yes, I'm in the camp of assume that's a given. Yeah. Uh, which yep, that's- I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm agree with that. Uh, well, PTSD to the nines. <sighs> My God. Hey, five-year-old Zach, you're responsible for your father's death and the death of everybody that you ever know. And then your toys leave you. And you're all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so I enjoyed chewing on stuff like that. Right. And I was chuckling a little bit. Like I said, like I was coming up with a quip of the archaeologist and the airman coming to a childhood trauma. Like, cause, cause you don't, you don't treat it like that, obviously. And that's not what this story was really trying to get at. It kind of sort of was getting at the, is a machine a machine or is it a person? I mean, it was kind of toying with that a bit, but it really was driving at, hey, oh, great. This is the pin that I wanted to come back to. Hey, here's a story about how the replicator started and it's not, and it's going to, and it's going to be a good one. Like the story is a good one. Like, this is the origin of the replicators, and this story was developed by one of the visual effects guys. Yeah, so I will say this, because uh, uh, James Titchener was one of the guys in the commentary. So he pitched the idea of them running into a replicator and the replicator having, or uh, running into a, an android, and the yeah. android having, you know, toys that cause problems. Oh, uh, somebody else put it together. So with it was Brad Wright who uh, made the connection. And says, you know what? This would. This is the origin of the replicator story. This sweet. the toys yeah. are the replicators. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but still, um, you know, within all of this, uh, it's worth noting that from from James's head, uh, and he was the uh, visual effects supervisor for this episode. Uh, and of course, the guy who pitched the story, and so he kind of feels a little bit of ownership for it, rightly so. Um, it was really important for him that Reese not be portrayed as a bad guy; that Reese mm-hmm. was yeah. something different than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that regard, I would say that if if we, I think, and I think that that they actually do a good job. It's hard to place in her. Uh, and I don't think the story intends for us to place malicious uh, intent behind her actions. No, I agree. I just found it intriguing that actually, I think you could watch the entire episode with the interpretation of that she's um, lying, and it still works. I think I think it certainly could. Uh, where the the place where where it falls apart a little bit on that unless she's lying about this as well, is the, tr- the, the order of events on how her planet is destroyed. Because Which if is, we are accurate yeah. in what we talk about now, if that is true, right. and it is at all true that she has a childlike uh, 
immature, whatever word you want to use, uh, psychological makeup right now, right? That's, you know, she's not... Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if, if those things are, are at all true, then, then that uh, shapes the way everything else is understood. I'm absolutely going to keep going forward in the camp of she wasn't being dishonest, this is what it is, and it's a tragedy. I... Am taking to heart. I th- who was it? Was it was it Hammond that said it, or was it O'Neill that said it? She's been lying to us this whole time, and it was about midway in the episode. Mm. Um, and it was meant to just put out there in reality, like we don't know if we can trust her. Like we we don't know that she's behaving in a way that should elicit trustworthiness, at least to us. But we don't know that we can trust her. Right. And as evidence of the lack of trust, she told us one part of story where's my dad what's wrong where you just i just want to see my dad and apparently she knew all along that her dad was dead so it allows for the interpretation of everything that is said as a, a as not truthful or outright deceit deceitful and therefore you know o'neill bursting through the door and putting around through her chest was the best idea like it was the clearly correct thing to do and you can still have that and have some emotional tension. And you could certainly see um, Jackson not going along with that for a host of reasons. And you still have that tension there for sure. I'm right. backing it up again. I'm in the Jackson camp. I'm in the camp of you're dealing with an immature consciousness who has been through a traumatic event. And that tells you a lot about what you should do. And you didn't have a psychologist or, you know, the story didn't have a psychiatrist or a psychologist around, certainly not, uh, you know, versed in uh, child psychology, certainly not with trauma. You didn't think to actually get yourself out of the situation where, um, where she can actually negatively impact your environment. How would you go through the gate and go someplace else? How would you go to have this conversation elsewhere? Like, yeah, why do you, you don't have to be in the base. Just go, go over there. Well, go have I your mean, conversation. On the flip side though, um, honestly, whether the, I mean, they don't know this at the beginning. And of course, part of what happens is, you know, if all you're dealing with is an immature uh, machine, that's one thing. Uh, the The script changes completely when all of a sudden your immature machine is making one of your mortal enemies. Yeah. Uh, and at that point in time, honestly, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're on Earth or on the Alpha side or the Beta side or the... You know, the Jim it's, Nancy it's, side? You no, did- it's... What I'm driving at is that it's it's a Lotus of Control thing. I was reading those scenes and interpreting it as this is a hurt child who just wants to feel like she's in control. And you can't let that happen. <laughs> you, But you don't exert dominance in that moment because then you're breaking down the levels of trust. So what do you do? You go someplace where they can be in control and you're safe. Now, you, you the person who's with them, might not be safe at all. But you get yourself out of a situation where there could be active harm being done to others as a result of these decisions. Now, well, again, you know, I'm coming so- at this with all sorts of information that did, wasn't even supposed to be part of this analysis. So I you get know, it. I, I will say I- that there is... I mean, they, they do try that, right? They, they initially have conversation in the lab, and then they move into a more uh, a safer yeah. environment, uh, which turns out to have too much metal in it, and then she makes a replicator, and probably at least two at that point in time. Um, <laughs> and and there is actually a really subtle, and you may have missed it, um, uh, Teal'c makes a, a passing line about it, and you see it on this, like after they realize that she makes a replicator, 
Everything else that's metal in that room disappears. Oh, I did not notice that. Um, yeah. and, and I didn't notice it the first couple of times I watched it. Um, I, I did notice it this particular time as I was watching it carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Teal'c does make a comment about that. Like, how could she have made a replicator after the first one if all of the material that she would have made a replicator out of isn't there? And then they made, well, she must have made two and we didn't realize it. And the other one was out and about making other replicators. Right. Um, so there are, there were times and situations uh, not always spoken that they were trying to do what you are suggesting. Uh, whether or not they succeeded is... Which I shouldn't be too... I mean, these are stories about heroes and heroes do amazingly wonderful things at the perfectly right time. And I'm sitting here being all like, you know, Captain Downer about what they didn't do. And, you know, frankly, I think I might be just getting a little bit too hung up on it because it at no point did this story really get in. It's not the, um, uh, what is it? Measure of a Man? Is that the TNG episode? The one that you were uh, talking about is Hero Worship. Nope. Earlier. Um, Measure of a Man is the when they put the on trial. data on trial for with right. you live. Correct. Um, this is not Measure of a Man. Right. right. This is not trying to answer the answer the question: Is this machine a person or not? Right. They 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 posed it. They presented two different ideas very briefly in the form of of Jackson being like, "We got to treat it like a person. We got to think about its psychological trauma," and O'Neill going, "It, it's it has about as much psychological trauma as a blender." Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, completely. Um, we didn't dive into it. And so if we're not going to dive into it, then me trying to dive into it is a bit unfair. And then if I'm going back myself out a bit and say, okay, well then if it's not about that, which is totally fine, what is it about? It's about the origin of the replicators. And then if I just kind of look at it like that origin of the replicators, this is a really rad origin story for the replicators. I got to tell you, like, this is cool. Like they're not meant to be nefarious. They ended up being nefarious and they are currently existing with a conscience of their own that appears to be rooted in protect yourself at all costs. And <laughs> like that seems to be the motivation. If you actually watch the replicator episodes up to this point, mm-hmm. uh, that's basically what they do, right? They'll leave you be, but if you start shooting them, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they, they swarm and they attack. Yep. Um, yep, they protect know. themselves at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we could talk more about this. Yes, we could. I think. <laughs> um, but I think it's time to uh, shift gears. Yes. Uh, and so I will ask you now to take this episode and all we've talked about and everything, and determine and settle down on a Chevron rating. Ah. Uh. How 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 to go about this one? Okay, so I ended up watching this episode and I was hung up a lot on these psychological questions. And as a result, I was feeling a little complicated. I said it at the start. And while I do enjoy complicated questions and complicated stories, I don't particularly enjoy feeling complicated. And so I wasn't really jamming too hard on this episode, although it was good and and enjoyable in many respects. I think I'm going to stick with that gut reaction, but you notice I had to do an awful lot of caveat 
uh, in advance. I'm going to give this one five out of seven, but I think I'm being a little too hard on it and that's okay. That's where I was when I watched it. Sure. The conversation that you and I have had have definitely helped me enjoy it a bit more. But unlike in other episodes where I'm willing to give it a, a bump up due to the conversation, on this one, I want to kind of stay in that original zone where it opened up a conversation inside my head, which was nuanced and enjoyable and difficult to get through. And of course, I wanted to talk and talk and talk and talk about it. But it kind of botched a few things and it sort of set them some things up in a couple of weird ways and it didn't quite handle it the way that I wanted my heroes to handle it. So I'm going to go with it. Eh, it's good. But it wasn't it wasn't great. So I'm going to give it a five. How about five. you? What'd cool. you give it? So um, last night as I was watching this episode and I was kind of thinking about it and and, uh, you know, um, and I was just jamming on this episode. I've always kind of mm-hmm. jammed on this episode. I'm actually going to give this episode seven i like it that much um i think that the origin of the replicator story uh is really really solid this is a great origin of the replicators uh Mm -hmm. that that gives it uh teeth that no pun intended there um i don't know maybe maybe, maybe it was you know but but there there's there's some stuff there uh, that that is gives uh, the story uh, handholds in the future. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, so okay, it's it's no spoiler. We're going to see the replicators again. I figured as much. Yes. Um, and this story is going to be a reality as we move forward in that stuff. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, I think I like this episode uh, and would still give it a seven, even if I didn't know what happens in the future. Mm-hmm. But um, there it is. And, you know, I given who Daniel and O'Neill are, Jack and Daniel, given who they are, um, I think that I mean, this is an episode that, that they are quintessentially themselves for the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're... You've, yes. you've got this uh, tension from the very beginning between them. They love each other. They are friends. They are colleagues. They are family, right? Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. don't see it the same way. Right. They don't see hardly anything the same way. Um, and I think even Dan, uh, Jackson, not I think O'Neill, made a comment about that. You know, like, hey, I don't like what you say most of the time. And I yeah. try not to throw you into a wall, you know. Right. So, uh, so you have these two characters that are quintessentially who they are, and they approach this from their way of thinking about it, and it turns out that it culminates with both of them trying to do what they do, and just the tension of that last moment when they're sitting there and. And like you didn't have to do it. Look, I didn't know that she was shutting him down. What I knew is that we didn't have much time, and she was losing control. I needed to do, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, just that that moment just hit me in the feels. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it just works for me. And and I think that 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 it, you know I've seen this many times, and it it hits me in that feels every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just really like that that uh, that emotional run that it gives me. So I give it a seven. Mm-hmm. 
All right. That is ju- that is absolutely justified. Yeah. I still think I'm being hard on it with a five, but I I, I have to stick to my guns. Like I, I walked away from this episode at a five. That's where I yeah, was. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have some predictions. Ooh, Are you ready? Oh, boy. All yeah. right. We're going to start with JD. Hi, JD. JD says, this is an interesting episode as far as adding to the lore, but something about it never holds my attention. So for me, a four. Mm-hmm. For Brent, I'm going to guess a five. Because Ooh. I don't think there's really a ton to talk about, and it's a fine episode, but he'll still be riding the high from guessing robots less, last week. <laughs> I, I, I frankly, yes. Yeah, that was, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, JD continues. For Zach, let's go with a four as well. If they find something to talk about with personhood or preemptive discipline or something, uh-huh. these numbers uh-huh. could go up. But this uh-huh. episode doesn't explore anything that hasn't been gone over a bunch of times. It's true. We were that literally is- naming episodes by title and other, and other genres or other uh, sci-fi shows. Yep. <laughs> um, so that was JD. Then we need to come here and we have next Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly says, Replicators. Great tension in this episode. Daniel Jackson at his best and most optimistic, and Jack yeah. being the soldier he has to be. Mm-hmm. Five from Brent and mm-hmm. five from Zach. Aha. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. um, there you go. Uh, Sondas says Hi, Sondas. Hi, guys. This episode is on my top 10. Yeah. Uh, for so many reasons. First, the actress playing Reese was simply phenomenal. I agree yes. with that. She was just yes. absolutely amazing. She did a great job. The confrontation between Daniel and Jack, one of the best things on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that moment was awesome. The idea of an immature and powerful AI, the origin story of the replicators, a creation surpassing the creator. It's an eight mm-hmm. for me. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I think Brent will be irritated by Daniel's behavior he can be a pain sometimes, <laughs> blinded by his morals. I want to say seven, please, for both, nope. but I think it will be a six. And for God's sake, when will they learn not to bring anything from the outside onto the base? I mean, kind of. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, mean, a you little bit. Address that question, or it is addressed at the beginning when, you know, they says, well, okay, so we have this thing, um... And it's true that you are not going to be able to study and learn from that piece of machinery, i.e. the robot, uh, on that planet. You need to bring it home so that you have the resources and the spaces to do that. While, while undoubtedly true, you, you are 100% correct. There is a piece of me that does seem to be hearing... Kinsey and other NID leadership constantly going on about how, look, the only thing that seems to happen is that you seem to get yourself into pickles pretty regularly. And one of these days, these pickles are going to blow up half the planet. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, we have Helio. Hi, Helio. Helio says, this episode is perfect. Jack and Daniel's antagonism on how to mm-hmm. deal with menaces about mm-hmm. replicators, someone was complaining we didn't see any for this season, so here they are. And here by they, here God, they, they are here force. on Earth. <laughs> yes. More oh. precisely, he says, 
uh, on SGC, which, by the way, someone reasonable would think on using another planet to bring and study new technologies instead of bringing these toys to Earth, given they had the Ancients list of world, uh, which is bigger than the Gua'uld have. They could have chosen one to be the lab the same way they did with the one... with the alpha beta sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the one that led them to know... Uh, okay, nip, pass it on that. Use that moon uh, <laughs> would be perfect after removing the deadly... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. The so. point remains, though, is that we don't have to do this in Colorado. The universe is our oyster. Yeah, well, in any case, he predicts both of us will give this 7 out of 7. Mm. Chevron. Mm-hmm. I like how basically just about everybody is right on one of our scores. Yeah. Okay. We like, have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're all making really great points. Oh, so yeah. Kevin is next. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, I think this will be a four out of seven from Brent because okay, he okay. had a good bagel this morning. Oh, my bagel is a disaster, but that's another story. Yeah. And Zach will give it a five out of seven because... He knows what this story will lead to. <laughs> um, he knows the future. <laughs> while it is true that I know the future, I appreciate, I think, I think I appreciate this episode more on its own merits than on the future stuff. Mm. Um, so, Sean says. Hi, Sean. Without knowledge of the future, this appears to be a standalone episode that could have gone places. Interesting mm-hmm. to learn where the replicators came from. I feel we could have had the first five or ten minutes actually starting with Reese and her first replicator, then jumping to the planet's population, starting to get killed, then a small scene at the end where the Asgard collect her body, so we know the story will continue. Um, But none of that actually happened. I'm sorry, Sean. Nope. He gives this episode a four and a half, Mm -hmm. and he predicts a six from me and you, as I predict the philosophical discussions about sentient life will abound. (laughs) Uh, Shocker. (laughs) No, no. So, you know, you split the difference for us, and we certainly did talk about the philosophy to some degree. Yeah, sure did. All right. Next, we have Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline. Jacqueline says, you would think by now that the team would learn to not bring any of their discoveries back to the SGC. But there we are. Uh, She says, Menace is one of my favorite episodes in season five because it not only brings the storyline back to the replicators, but it also throws a focus onto the characters and the dynamics of their friendship and how Mm -hmm. the team works. 100% Mm-hmm. 100% agree with you right there at Jacqueline. 100%. Daniel Nicolette as Reese is fantastic, and how she presents us with this dichotomy of a robot with an almost childlike mentality within an adult's body, and how she switches from naivety to anger to petulance mm-hmm. to indifference. Mm-hmm. Michael Shanks and RDA also give brilliant acting performances in this mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. as they demonstrate the core traits of their respective characters. Daniel... Uh, Daniel and how he tries to communicate and have an open mind, whereas Jack works with absolutes and along the lines of good or bad, friend or enemy. Mm-hmm. The tension that remain, remains between the two in those final scenes is also intriguing. This isn't the first time the characters have been divided over how to handle an, an issue, but it is becoming more and more frequent. Mm-hmm. I also love seeing General Hammond in action, too, and yes. helping to defend the base. Yes. 100%. (laughs) 
There's so much that could be discussed about this episode, but overall the storyline did give us some answers as to the replicators, even if it also presented us with more questions. Mm-hmm. Such as, will SG-1 cross paths with more like Reese? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously Brent doesn't know what's in store yet. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. But I really do like this episode, <laughs> and since I was way out with my predictions last week, I'm just going to go all out this week. And a six and a half from Brent. I'm sorry, six and a half from Zach, and another right. seven from Brent. Ah, alas. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion that after the conversation we had, mm-hmm. if you had come into this episode with, um, with a little bit less of the the frustration that you had going mm-hmm. into it, uh, I wager a guess that you would have given this something closer to a seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, this is going to be what, this is going to be the best bad answer in the world. I mean, but what can you really say, man? I mean, like (laughs) I am what I am and my experience is my own man. And so, you know, if I'm feeling charitable, I feel charitable. Who's to say? So, so so what you're saying is the fact that you burned your bagel this morning actually had an effect on your rating. (laughs) No, because I had the bagel after I watched the episode. Oh, okay. And yes, but it was some, um, well, no, that that means it was just some sort of weird time dilation where effect. Oh, is that what it was? Cause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I burned my bagel that badly. Went yeah. back in time. It went back in time. <laughs> wow. I burned it through a solar flare. <laughs> 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 and it traveled back in time to me watching the show. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, okay. That is awesome. Well, we do have a few more uh, predictions, mm-hmm. so let's continue. We have Austin. Okay. Hi, Austin. Oh, boy. Another wonderful situation we find ourselves in because our intrepid heroes didn't want to suffer the inconvenience of investigating something on the planet and must <laughs> beg Hammond like little kids to bring it back to Earth. Hey, <laughs> Starbucks is on base and all the other airmen are expendable, so, you know, who knows? You know. All right. <laughs> he continues. Sorry, my mind was wandering. Also, if she knows what happened to her home planet, then why did she make another replicator? I mean, the problem wasn't the replicators, obviously. So I think I think that she made another replicator because, uh, well, a humans. Because the problems were the people with the pitchforks. Well, well, the replicators they, that were the problem. Well, yes and no. The replicators, if the replicators were at all designed to replicate. If that's how that she designed them to be on some level, um, then that's going to cause a problem. But I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that humans, and she is sufficiently human that this counts, are notoriously bad about going back to the thing that they did that they shouldn't have done because it was bad, even though they knew it was bad, and doing it again and being surprised that it turns out the same way. Dude, you're talking about a five-year-old. That is what they live that is their life. Yes. They're like, ouch, that hurt. Ouch, it hurt again. How did it hurt me a second time? <laughs> yep. Yes. All right. Uh, Austin continues. Yes. I actually like this origin story of the replicators and think this mm-hmm. episode is very rewatchable, if only for Tactical Hammond. Oh, yeah. Tactical Hammond, man. That was, that was pretty, pretty cool. awesome. So he predicts a six out of seven chevrons for both Zach and Brent because... The good story, action, pacing, and acting, and all of the above. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and you split the difference between the two of us. Yep. All right. 
so we have um this is dustin hi dustin uh i think this is dustin's first time with a prediction sounds about right welcome thanks for joining us yeah, thanks, uh, Dustin. He emailed us this. He says, I really had to put myself in the mindset of Brent this morning. So, of course, oh. I had a bagel. <laughs> what would Brent do? <laughs> Sales of bagels inexplicably rise. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think this episode, he says, may involve <laughs> a lot of talk about what life truly is. It's a machine. Mm-hmm. And... I think hearing O'Neill's argument about safety of the base versus scientific discovery, but it's a machine, may spark some conversation. Mm. Hopefully Brent has a good breakfast. RDA had some funny snarky comments as well. Mm. I say Zach will give it a 5 out of 7 chevrons for important story and information about the replicators and where they may have originated from. And Brent will also give this a 5 out of 7 for overall good story and conversations. Yep. I, Dustin would give this episode a 5 out of 7. Yep. Uh, he loves listening yep. to us and loves the trailers from David. So, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dustin. So, speaking of David, we are going to conclude with David's predictions. Nice. He says, Hi, David. Don't be afraid. It's just a Chevron encoding bias buffer. Oh. Well, then I have nothing to worry about. Right. Oh, no. It's taking over the world. All right. He says, an origin story for a villain, a mysterious childlike yet quite adult android, escalating tension with the replicators, General Hammond in action, growing conflict between Daniel and Jack, ending with mm-hmm. Jack's decision on how to end the episode's threat. Great acting, direction, and writing all around. What's mm-hmm. not to like about this episode? To quote, to quote Morjana Kaufman on GateWorld.net, it was fascinating storytelling and a prime example of why Stargate SG-1 is first-class entertainment Hmm? seven chevrons from zach and seven chevrons from brent bold and not unreasonable but inaccurate sorry yep uh to that end i would say you're wrong (laughs) is that what he closed with no no that was oh (laughs) oh so those were our predictions. Thank you, comments. everybody. So thank you very much for all of you uh, who uh, made comments and sent them in via Facebook or email. I am sorry that I forgot to uh, tell Brent to uh, make a mention Oh, that's on right. Twitter. I don't know. Um, it's not your responsibility to tell me these things. I'm supposed to remember these things. Well, I know, but it is my job to do the show notes, and part of the doing the show notes is... Uh, remembering to, to do the thing. Remembering <laughs> to do things like this. And, uh, you know, so... You know, and and it took me a while to actually remember to start, you know, getting asking for uh, comments and predictions the night early. Uh, But I finally got that uh, most of the time. So uh, the habit is established. We'll 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 Mm -hmm. get that Twitter thing going, and eventually, so on. Eventually, okay, Brent. Yes. The next episode of Stargate SG One, the Mm twentieth of twenty-two episodes of season five of Stargate SG One, is entitled. The Sentinel. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, what is The Sentinel all about? Oh, the Sentinel. Um, Sentinel. You know, I can't think of anything funny, so I'm going to give it a semi-serious go. As in, I'll just, because I can't think of making a good pun, so I'm just going to kind of figure this thing out. All right, so here we go. All, all right. right, all right, here we go. 
Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. They come across a curious device that seems to be emanating a signal, but who's receiving it at the other end? The the world appears to be yet another abandoned civilization, ravaged once again by, in fact, our favorite enemy, the Replicators, as we find another little piece of Lego over there. And the beep, 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 seems to be, upon further analysis, a command module that seems to be telling the replicators to go, go, go. But where are they going? Following the source of the, following where the signal's going, I don't know. They go to another spot and then they find themselves, in fact, face to face with a terrifying sight, Zach. A terrifying oh no. sight. Oh no. They come face to face with the Ur replicator, <gasps> the first to arrive at a planet of importance and destroying this sentinel can lead to the destruction of all replicators. I don't okay, okay. Join us next time on Stargate <laughs> SG-1, the Sentinel. Sure. So are we going to keep going? Are we going to keep moving with this replicator story? Um, I will spoil this for you. Ah, nuts. We yeah. will not be seeing replicators in the episode The Sentinel. Sorry. Fine. I will say that we will find the SG-1 team on a new world. So you got I mean, that right. good. Okay. <laughs> Is there a beeping beep? Sure. Oh, good. And there's a pooping boop. Oh, I love it when they have the and, and there's probably some bleeps in there as well. Well, my gosh, it has all three. This is a seven in the making, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I have, obviously. Are you ready to watch the promo? <laughs> I am ready, yes. Okay, I'm hitting play now. <laughs> Next time on Stargate SG-1. What's going on? SG-9 was on an extended mission to reestablish diplomatic relations with P2A-018. One of several planets visited by the NID while running their off-world program. One of the Stargate teams has failed to report in. Sir, before we go anywhere, we need to talk to Greaves. Why? Well, whether we like it or not, sir, Colonel Greaves and Lieutenant Kershaw may be the only people qualified to fix it. Under heavy fire, can SG-1 repair the damage caused by the NID team? Uh-huh. Or will another planet become enslaved by the Goals? This is my last one. Your Lord Sparag should not come. The Sentinel will send him away. You will all be sent away. Oh. Oh. It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Oh, dear. You know, that vaguely sounds... That looks fun and exciting, and I'm excited to watch that. There was another idea that crossed my mind. However, it was going to be super esoteric, and Zach, you probably wouldn't have gotten it at all. There are these little critters in a pretty popular video game, No Man's Sky. They're called Sentinels. And they kind of float around, and they usually don't do anything unless you do particularly specific actions, which is kind of hilariously frustrating because you can do these very destructive actions, and they just don't care. But you do these, like, pick a flower actions, and they're like, you are terrible, and they try to get you. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, the thing is that, you know, like, if you escalate the situation, they come at you with ever-increasingly larger things. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the Sentinel will send you away. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so uh, No Man's yep. Sky, well before No Man's Sky. Well, I'm excited to watch this one. This is going to yep. be good. Yeah.
All right, so that's the Sentinel. Special thank you very much to David for yeah, putting thanks, together the David. promo. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so at that point in time, then I say just tell us what you think. There's mm-hmm. a lot that we talked about this episode. I'm sure there's lots of things that we missed. Uh, we didn't really talk a whole lot about any of RDA's antics in this episode. Oh, the mouth magnifier awesome. thing? Oh, that was so much fun. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What was that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's lots of things that we could have talked about that we did not get a chance to talk about. So tell us what you think. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. Go to the Facebook page and the group and all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. if you want, uh, join us on Patreon and uh, start voting for rewatch episodes and, and yeah. help us decide which episodes to rewatch and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So All that stuff. With that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>